let's just lift our hands and let's begin to pray. It says in the Word of God in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Thereby exert, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's lift our hands right now. Number one, we want to pray for the new Pope that will be coming in in a couple of weeks. You might have heard about the Pope's resignation. So we want to pray for the wisdom on the Catholic Church. Now, whatever you believe about the Catholic Church, we want God to begin to work behind the scenes in Jesus' name and to put the, might, the right man in power there. Also want to lift up David Cameron and the leaders here in the UK. And let's lift up Pastor Colin as well according to this verse. Let's begin to pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father God, we bring the Catholic Church to you, Father God, and the leader of the Catholic Church. Father God, we're saddened to hear the news, Lord, of the Pope's resignation. But Lord God, we know there's a change happening, Father God. And things are changing there behind the scenes in the Catholic Church. And we know there's been a revival, Father, charismatic revival. And Father God, we just ask you in the name of Jesus today, Lord, that you would put your man back in power in office, Lord God, who will favor the Protestant church, Lord, and open up a way of revival, Father. In the name of Jesus, God, we pray you'll give wisdom and revelation and understanding to the Catholic church at the moment, Lord, in Jesus' name. So, Father, we cry out to you, Father, in this transition that you begin to intervene behind the scenes, in Jesus' name. Behind the scenes, Father, and the priests, Lord God, Lord, and the people and the leaders, God, we pray, now would be the time of salvation of the Catholic church. Now would be the time, Lord, where you begin to revisit Lord God, some of the leaders there in Jesus' name. Father, we lift up David Cameron to you, Lord, and the leaders of the UK. Father, we cry out to you for this nation to be saved, Lord. We know that this nation has turned away from you, but we cry out today that this nation would turn back to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Father, visit David Cameron. Visit the leaders of this land, Lord God, in Jesus' name. And Father, we cry out, Lord, for Pastor Colin, the leaders here, that you would strengthen Father KT and all of London leaders, Father, in the name of Jesus and bring a revival, Father. Bring a reformation in the church, Father God, that would transform society, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Father, we cry out to you because you're the God who hears our cry. We cry to you and you answer our cry, Lord. So come down and rescue us. Come down and invade London with your power and your glory, Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now just lift your hands and begin to pray for your family right now. In the name of Jesus. Begin to speak in other tongues right now and say, God, intervene in my house, Lord. Intervene in my family, intervene in my children, intervene at work, Lord God, intervene, Father God, surprise me this week, Lord God, oh, surprise me, Father, break out in my life, Lord, in Jesus' name, break through the religious repertoire, break through just the norm, Lord, I want to see something supernatural, Father, Lord, break into our communities, break in, in healing, signs and wonders, Lord, open our mouth and give us boldness to speak your word, Father, in Jesus' name, nothing but a touch from you, Lord, nothing but a touch from you is going to change. Change us, Lord. Therefore, we cry out to you. Change us today. Change us, Father. Set us a light for your glory, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's give Jesus praise right now. Hallelujah. Amen. amen. You may be seated. We're talking today about touching hearts. And I pray during that prayer that your heart was touched. But it's more than just a prayer. You know, God doesn't just hear our words, he hears our cries, he hears our, our tears and our, our desperation. And God's been stirring me up. I mean, you may have been shocked to hear about the gay marriage bill. Anybody was shocked to hear that that went through, a few of us. And we can go on rhetoric after rhetoric and talk about how bad the nation is. But then we can also ask ourselves the question, were we the ones who were interceding? 
Were we the ones who were standing in the gap, not just a couple of weeks ago, but five years, ten years before that? Have we been crying out to God to save our city and to save our nation? Now, hopefully behind me it says here, not ashamed, join the battle for souls. Anybody involved in the battle for souls? A few of us here. What, and what do we mean? What do we mean by that? Well, one of the things I'm going to be sharing today is, is prayer and intercession. Prayer and intercession. People can recognize whether you're real and genuine or not. Or whether you're carrying something from God or not. If, if you're not carrying some weight or some anointing from God, when you speak to somebody about God, it's not going to make any difference. So something, sometimes you need to reevaluate where you're at as a believer. Well, how do we reevaluate? We reevaluate by saying, God, how am I doing in the battle for souls? Have we started engaging in that battle today? Now, how do we engage? One of the ways is by prayer. Are we praying, not just for our needs and maybe it's for the 2.30 service or things like that. I've got news for you today, Gabriel. God is bigger than the 2.30 service. Hallelujah. God is bigger. Some of you don't believe that. God is bigger than the 2.30 service. In fact, God wants to use the 2.30 service to reach out to the nations of the world. Hallelujah. He wants to multiply. And he wants to grow this service in such a way that invades London and all the services as well. So our vision is bigger than just a single service. But we want to reach the city for God. Our mission statement is what? London and the, the world. Hallelujah. Shout it louder. The world. The world. We have a vision for the world. And how do we engage in that battle for the world and for the souls of the city? By engaging in spiritual warfare. This week, very challenging to ask you, but this week, were you involved in crying out to God for souls to be saved? Were you on your face before God crying out, God, give me the souls of this city? Were you, were you weeping before God? Were you asking God? Not just for an emotional experience, but were you asking God, Lord, in this battle for souls of the 230 service, Lord, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to call you Lord. And if you are ashamed, if there is fear in your life, hopefully Esteban would have removed a lot of fear last week. But if there's still fear in your life this week, then you need to cry out to God and say, God, you didn't give me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Lord, I need your help. And as you begin to pray and cry to God, God will start to impart something into you that when you're faced with sharing your faith, you won't be able to stop. You'll have to speak it out to people because God has started imparting something inside of your spirit. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. If the guy's in the technical gallery, I'm going to play that DVD at the end right now because I think I'm just getting started. Hallelujah. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 13. I've got a passion this year for, for something genuine. Not something fake, something genuine. Or you could use the word authentic. Something genuine. When, pe- when you're sharing your faith and it's genuine, then people will listen. When it's coming from your heart and you mean the words that you're saying, when you feel that you have to do something, it's not effective. Amen? When you have to do something, when someone's just told you to do something, it's not effective. We're not going to build the church because somebody else told us to do something. We're going to build the church by hearing from what God has told us to do. Because if you read through the scriptures, you'll see every time God raised up a man or a woman, it was him who personally came and spoke to that man or woman. He gave that man or a woman a heart after him, and he began to stir and break away all the fears and the different things that they were facing, and he started to anoint them for service. So it doesn't really matter what you're going through right now, whether you're weak or whether you're strong. God wants to give you his heart in the name of Jesus. Now, how many people were here for Nathan Morris? Hallelujah. You guys need to get out more. I don't want to say leave the 2.30 service and join the 7. You should come to all the services. But that Sunday was a very special service. Amen. 
where Nathan Morris came and God's using him in an amazing way. And no matter what you feel about these preachers on God TV, Nathan came and all I sense that when Nathan was here, he was just releasing a passion for the gospel over the church. Now, if you want a passion for souls, if you want a passion for London, you need just to li- need to listen for a few moments to Nathan Morris's service a couple of weeks ago at 7 p.m. online this week. And I tell you, that anointing that's on him will start to come up on you. And I, I believe before the end of that message, you'll be on your knees crying out to God for souls to be saved. Because that's what happens. You know, God gives us a burden. And uh, this year, I wanted to move away from just being busy. Anybody just busy here? Or is it just me? Anybody busy here? London's a very busy place. And uh, there's a statement, you know, sometimes the, the urgent can cry out the important, crowd out the important. But what does that mean? It simply means that, you know, there's important things to be done, like seeing souls saved. That's very important. It should be one of the top 10 things that we're going to do in the week, winning souls. But sometimes the urgent, like paying the telephone bill or paying the council tax bill, or paying all your bills can distract you from what's important. And import, what's important to God is leading people to Christ. And engaging in this battle for soul winning. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13. If we ever get there, hallelujah. Now, I was leading an open cell in Northolt. How many cell leaders do we have here? A few of you guys. You all can be a cell leader, hallelujah. You can all, all be a cell leader. To be a cell leader is to be an evangelist, hallelujah. Amen. Now, we were leading the cell group in Northolt, and over a two-year period, about 25 guys have come through this group. And thank God that 25 people have come through, people have been saved, and we've started to influence the area. And we've got an average of about eight to ten guys who come on a regular basis. That's, that's pretty good. You know, but something was just frustrating me because the aim of each cell group is not necessarily to have a quantity of people. I mean, if I ask you today, how many people do you lead in your cell group, and you have many uh, maybe you have 15 or 10, you can put your chest out and say, whoa, Christian, I have 10 people, hallelujah. I have 15 people. But if you ask somebody who only has one or two, then they're not going to pop their chest out. They're going to fold in and say, hey, I only have one or two. I'm kind of struggling. But for those who have people, sometimes we can be a little proud and arrogant you know, when we have people. But I looked at the people that I had, and I thought to myself, the purpose of this group is not just to have people. We can always get people, you know, church followers, but the, the whole point is not to gather church followers. The whole point of the cell group is to, to make disciples. And the difference between a disciple and a Christian is, is massive. Sometimes a Christian is someone who just comes to church and listens to the sermon, and that's as far as their Christianity goes. They leave the church with the same struggles that they're going through. The aim of the cell group is to break down some of the strongholds that you're facing and then set you free so you can go out and make a difference for God. And so I thought to myself, what does it mean to make a disciple? If I was looking at a disciple, somebody who loves God, someone who's got a passion for God, how how do I develop? If I was looking at what a disciple is, it would be someone who has passion. Hallelujah. Someone who's passionate about God. Before they do anything, they're passionate about prayer. They're passionate about intercession. They've received something from God. Now, I think it was last week, Francois from the 300, I, I saw him when he first got saved. When he first came into the church and he was struggling a little bit with his, some of the issues, and then he joined the cell group with Gabriel downstairs and he was still struggling a little bit. But you know, when he got up last, last uh, week at the 7 p.m. service, you know, he couldn't stand in front of people because he was scared. He was frightened. But last week he was preaching up a storm. Hallelujah. 
And he was telling how he was on the street and how a heroin addict, a woman, was going to Leopard Grove and she was on her way to, to snort some heroin or, or to take it. And uh, right there on the spot, he spoke to her about Jesus, <laughs> told her his testimony, and right there she gave her life to the Lord, right there on the spot. Hallelujah, and give Jesus praise today. God invades someone's life when they're on their way to take drugs. God invades them in Jesus' name. Now, Francois's journey, he got up there and he started just preaching. After he shared the testimony last week, he was just preaching. Why? Because something has started in his life. Something of God has started to start in his life. And he started to get passionate about God. And I'm in touch with him by text message because he's on the evangelist list. And I keep sending these radical messages. And he texted me this week. said, keep sending those radical uh, messages because I'm just getting on fire. Hallelujah. Now, sometimes when you catch on something from God, by listening to Pastor Colin this morning or Nate the Morris or whoever you listen to, something of what God has placed on their life starts to come up on your life. Sometimes we can start to focus on the wrong things. And what I mean by the wrong thing is that if you're not ready to plant a cell group or do something mighty for God, I have a tendency just to tell you, Tayo, to get on with it. Amen? Start your cell group. Start growing your cell group. You might not be ready for, to start that, but where does the move of God start? And here it is in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 14. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept the command of what the Lord commanded you. Here, God says to Saul, when he did something wrong, he was being disobedient, took things in his own, his own strength. God says, you know, I've rejected you, but I've found a man after my own heart. God uses people in soul winning and in preaching of the gospel, people who've captured the heart of God. Last week, Esteban must have shared it, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. You know, when you love somebody, you're not aware of any fear. You're not aware of any fear. When you're so passionate in love with somebody, you're not caught up in fear. You're not thinking, oh, what am I going to do? Am I going to trample on eggshells? You know, you're so filled with compassion for that person and love for that person. That love takes over. A heart for God is where it starts out. And I was crying out to God for this Northwood cell group. And I said to God, you know what? I want to raise up men of prayer. Because if I can get men who are passionate about God and passionate about prayer then when I ask them to evangelize or disciple somebody, they're not going to have a problem. Because if they're not doing it for Jesus first, if they're not doing it for God first, it doesn't matter what they do. Someone said, only that which starts from God will last. And sometimes we can start things in the natural because it's in the Bible, but unless it's birthed and impregnated from God, it's not going to last. Here, God starts to work in David's heart. Before he becomes king, before he goes through all these battles, you know, not battle for souls, but battles there with the army. Before he gets anointed king, he is a worshiper. Somebody who has a heart for God. Someone who has a passion for God. And I want to ask you today, do you have a passion for God? Do you have a heart after God? Or does it, is it just in these four walls here today? When we go home, when we're at work, are we saying to God, God, I need you to do something at work. I need you to break through these people. Here, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, God says it again in verse 6 of 1 Samuel chapter 16. He says, when Samuel came to anoint all the brothers there of, of David and, and Jesse's family, he, he went 
before them all. And what was David doing? David wasn't even in the, in, in the line because he was rejected by his family. They thought, who's this little kid? You know, surely he's not going to become king. And he says in 1 Samuel 16, so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Everybody say the heart. Say it again, the heart. God looks at the heart. So God isn't looking at the outward. He ain't looking at how many souls you led to Christ this week. He ain't looking at how many disciples that you raised up. You know, God kind of cares about that in, in one sense, but God cares about your heart. He cares about, he cares about the health of your relationship with Him. Unless it starts in your relationship with God first, I begin to pray on Thursday morning. I arrange to meet my guys and say, listen, if we're going to raise up cell members in Northall and the, and the surrounding areas, we've got to start to pray. So I prayed on Thursday morning a week ago, and it's the third time that we're praying. And unfortunately, one of the guys was late. And so I spent about half an hour forgiving him for becoming late. And I started to pray to God, God, I don't even know why this guy's late. But anyway, whether he turns up or not, I'm going to pray. And as I begin to pray, this scripture came to mind. That God uses men after his own heart. So I begin to part my heart to God and say, God, what we need is passionate men. Men who are meeting with God. Men who are passionate about God. That when we start to disciple them, they're going to start to move. You can't, you can't disciple a mule. Amen. You can't disciple someone who's stubborn, someone who doesn't want to move forward with Jesus. You can only disciple somebody who's passionate about Jesus. Anybody passionate about Jesus here today? I can see you just taking this in. Sometimes we get involved in trying to kick people into heaven. If you don't want to go to heaven, that's up to you. You can go to hell. That's hard, isn't it? But that's true. If you want to follow Jesus, then you follow, you move forward with Jesus. You be determined because God wants passionate people. So I begin to cry out to God for passionate people because if we're going to plant cell groups, we're going to disciple the nations, then it's going to start in the heart of men. I want you to turn over to Habakkuk chapter 1. Now while we're doing that, I'm going to tell you a story. One of the reasons why KT is here today is because of a man named George Jeffries. Anybody heard of George Jeffries? A few of you. George Jeffries was an evangelist who started, reopened this church and saw miracle signs and wonders. And that when we dug up in the basement downstairs when they were doing out the lower hall, there was crutches and wheelchairs from the revivals that took place here in this building. Now God birthed a passion in Jeffries to preach the gospel. But where did that passion ever come from? It came from one man, a man named Evan Roberts. Anybody heard of Evan Roberts? Evan Roberts, he received this burden from God. Now, what was this burden, this passion for God that he had? He believed that Wales was going to have a move of revival. He believed that God was going to move in Wales in such a significant way that he had this burden. He started to groan and started to cry out to God. So this was starting in his heart. He got so passionate about this, this cause that he was feeling, he started to go to the, the pastor, the senior minister of the church, and he said, you know what, I've got this passion. I've got this burden from God, and I believe that God wants to move in the church, and God wants to move in Wales in a significant way. Well, the pastor didn't really connect with him at that point, and there was a little negotiation taking place, and he said, you know what, what you can do is you can have the 9 p.m. service, so after the evening service, you can meet with a few people and pray, I'll just give you the pulpit, and if it's of God, let it start. 
So Evan Roberts, he gets up after the evening service on a Sunday, and at 9 p.m., he starts praying. Now, has anybody heard anybody who prays with the Holy Spirit, with a burden? Anybody heard anybody like that? Because when they're praying with the burden of the Holy Spirit, you begin to catch something. There's some fire. Now, one man can pray a normal prayer, and it makes no difference. It falls on deaf ears. But when someone's burning with a passion for God, suddenly there's the amen, the hallelujah, the hey, ah, whoa, come on. Why? Because something of the Spirit of God is connecting with your spirit, and as they pray, they're getting stirred. And this passion in Evan Roberts, he's, he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, bend me. Bend me. Which means to break me or to change me. And it wasn't just, oh, let's go through a series of sanctification meetings. This was something that was coming from the Spirit of God. And as we begin to pray this prayer, the power of God started to hit the whole of the church. And without Evan Roberts doing anything, people started to fall on their knees and start to cry out to God. People were weeping. People were desperate. Some people were hanging on to these pillars here because they were scared of being dragged into hell because of the revelation that they were getting in intercession, because of the sins in their lives. They didn't have a revelation of the grace of God yet. It was just the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that entered into that place. They prayed all night. You know, when something is of God, it doesn't finish. It continues. Most of the revivals, they just happen after the service and they continue. So five o'clock in the morning, people were still in agony, crying out to God for God to forgive them and crying out to God that Wales would be saved. Now, as a result of that, there was a meeting day after day, day after day, day after day, day after day, day after day. People would meet in the evening and they would cry out to God all night. They were no longer bothered about their work, no longer bothered about going to the pub. People started getting saved in the pub and they couldn't even put the beer cups on the table because they couldn't move them because of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. People started to get saved in the coal miners. The coal miners used to swear at the, the donkeys. And as they got saved, they were no longer swearing, so they couldn't instruct the donkeys because they didn't understand what they were saying in this new Christianese. The power of God hit that place in such a way that in one single year, 100,000 people received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 100,000 people recorded. And how did this start? Because one man had a burden for God. One man. Now, you might not be Evan Roberts today, and God might not use you to win 100,000 people. But if you're going to be effective in winning your work colleagues, your community, your family, you've got to get the burden of God. You've got to get this passion inside of you. That it just doesn't happen when Gabriel gets up here and speaks on next week about the power of the gospel. And suddenly you're, tack, you're, you're tanked up and you leave this place after two days, it's gone again. Something that starts from God doesn't suddenly disappear after a week. Something that starts from God, it continues and it lasts until you birth, you birth out of this a move of the Spirit, either 15 disciples, 20 disciples, planting a church, or go to northern Africa, hallelujah, and become a missionary because of the burden that God is giving you. Now, guess what this? Evan Roberts started this move, and George Jeffries and Stephen Jeffries were those two evangelists. They attended these meetings in, in the revival in Wales. So what does that mean? It simply means that if Evan Roberts never got up there and prayed, Mebby's KT would have never started. KT would have never been planted. The revivals that George Jeffries had, Mebby's would have never happened because in those meetings is where George and Stephen got revived and renewed. See, what would happen today if God moves in your heart in such a significant way and then all these people started to get saved? That was the quietest awoo that I've ever heard in my life. Is that the women's net awoo? 
Have you been training the women's net? Marcia, God is going to start something in your life and you. Amen. Hallelujah. People are dependent on you. People are dependent on you to pray for them, to intercede for them. Because people, I can't reach the people that you're reaching. You, only you can reach the people that you are reaching. The friends and the family members that are around your neighborhood. And there needs to be a deep concern in your spirit and in your life to begin to share your faith. And it starts with receiving a burden. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 1. It says here, the burden which prophet Habakkuk saw. I was teaching this in the Bible school. And one of the ways that God begins to speak to us, one is the word of God. Another is revelation. But here, God begins to speak to you by giving you a burden for a specific people or a specific community. How does it work? Suddenly, you don't, you don't care about your neighborhood. I tell you, when I started a cell group in Northall, that I couldn't care less about that area, to be honest. And I'm an evangelist for my sins. Hallelujah. What does that mean? It means I would go home. I wasn't looking for opportunities. I wasn't thinking about the lost being saved. I, I was preaching that in the church. I was saying, come on, all of you guys have got to win the lost. And something began to stir in, in my spirit. And I started to get frustrated. I said, God, I can't get up here and start telling other people to do it if, in fact, it's not happening to me. How many people being there? Amen? All of us. We preach, but we don't do. And I started to get before God and say, God, you've got to start something in my local community. And so when we planted the cell group, something started to happen in my, my life. When I got to the train station, I started to look for opportunities. Why? Because there was a burden. The burden of the Holy Spirit starts to say, hey, Christian, you can take responsibility for this area, for this community. And I start to meet people on the train and the bus. Why? Because God started giving me a passion for him, a passion for souls. Now, this word burden means the massa, the massa of the Lord in the Hebrew, M-A-S-S-A, the massa of the Lord. I want to ask you that question. Do you have a burden? Do you have a burden for people? Do you have a burden for your family? Turn over to Romans chapter to 8. Romans chapter 8. I want to see people in Kensington Temple with a burden for the lost. I don't want to just see Gable up here or the leaders up here. I want to see you guys up here with a burden for the lost. People like Francois who've received receiving something directly from God. Now how do we get this burden? We get this burden from God in prayer. In prayer. Something we connect with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit desires. He's the best soul winner. You know, the pressure's off when you know it's the Holy Spirit who leads people to Christ. You can't save anybody. It doesn't matter. You can get up here today and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God of salvation. Hallelujah. Well, you can say all that, but it's not you saving. The only person who can save is the Holy Spirit through you. And if the Holy Spirit's not saving, then, then they're not going to be saved. I've seen evangelists on the street persuading people to get saved. You pray this prayer after me. God will save you. What utter rubbish. If the person doesn't mean it from their heart, if they don't truly confess Jesus, Lord, and mean it from their heart, they're not saved. It doesn't matter what prayer they pray. Churches are full of people praying, but they don't mean it. 
People are going to mean things in their heart. That means they're going to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. So that means that when we're sharing the gospel with people, something is going to start in our lives first, that when we speak to people, whether loud or quiet, it brings conviction of sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. When Peter preached at Pentecost, he had met with God. And when he met with God, he preached. And the Bible says what? The believers were cut through the heart. They were cut through the heart. Why? Because he was able to preach. And as he preached, the word of God pierced their heart and they were convicted of their sin. I remember preaching in Leicester Square one night. And one guy, he said to me after I preached, and about 10 people that night had responded to God in the preaching. And he said, you know what? I've been here many times before. And I've heard many different preachers. But when you preached tonight, there was just something different about your preaching. Something different. Something different. He began to explain how it was like a magnet. It was drawing him to God. It was convicting him of his sins. Now that doesn't happen all the time. I wish I could get up here and everybody was flat on their face. Being convicted by the Holy Spirit. That was one night where God had anointed me in that way. And every time we share the gospel with people, we've got to have that convicting element that persuades people and turns people to God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Helps in our weaknesses. How many people feel weak when they're sharing the gospel? How many people are alive here today? If you are not weak sharing the gospel, then that means every one of you is strong. That means this altar should be filled with souls today. Hallelujah. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know the things we should pray as we ought to, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings. Or wordless groans, the NIV says, with groanings which cannot be uttered. I don't know about you, but have you entered in to the groaning of the Holy Spirit where you've caught the heart of God? Much of our prayer in church these days would be, Lord, we pray for my needs and I pray for my family and I pray for my relatives and I pray for Gabriel because he's leading the 230 service and I'm passionate about the 230 service and I pray Lord God just generally for my soul that I will grow and this kind of prayer and then that's it just natural prayer I'm telling you today that natural prayer will not bring revival natural prayer will not bring revival to this nation only a prayer given by the Holy Spirit is going to visit the houses of parliament only a prayer offered by the Holy Spirit is going to cause people at that 52 bus stop to bow down because you walk past them and they got convicted of their sin and they say, hey, I want to be saved. Only a prayer offered by the Holy Spirit. See, when we get into worship and we start worshiping God and we say, God, I love you, and we get sanctified from, by, by God, supernaturally be, be, feel forgiven of our sins, then we start to pray in a natural way. We've got to pray that the Holy Spirit starts to invade our prayer lines. That you start to get an urgency of prayer. Anybody received an urgency in prayer? An urgency of prayer. When you're praying, God, oh Lord, I pray for my brothers. You know, I was here one day, I think it was 19 years old in the Bible schools, just here. And Colin had said, you know, pray. Pray for, you, pray for your, your relatives to be saved. And I remember just catching something of the Holy Spirit. And I just begin to weep and cry out to God. That God would touch my brother and turn him back to him. He said, you can pray. I've prayed many prayers for my family. Oh, well, Lord, save them. Lord, I'm believing that you'll save them. But you need to get into prayer in such a way that you start to groan over their lives. Start to weep over their lives. The Holy Spirit starts to breathe life into your prayer life. And you say, God, God, you need to intervene now. 
You need to do something now. Lord, they're on the brink of death now. Lord God, you need to intervene today. That's what it means to groan in the Holy Spirit. You receive an urgency, a burden. Now, it could be for anything. God might be planting a vision in you today, a vision for your nation, a vision to reach a people group, people in Northern Africa. I heard of a man in Times Square Church the other day who's become a missionary in Morocco. Now, who would become a missionary in Morocco? Any volunteers? Amen. Sign her up. We need missionaries in Morocco. We need missionaries in Northern Africa. Who's going to pay the price? One man, he was just there translating the, the Spanish speakers of Times Square Church in America. And as he began to listen to the preaching, he started to receive this passion from God. And he started to receive a passion for, to pray for Spain. And there was a big map of the world. And, and, and he began to pray for Spain. And so God opened up a door for him to go to Spain, and he turned up in Spain at the church, and he said to the pastor, you know, I've come from New York. Is there anything I can do? Anything I do? Very scary to say that to a pastor. Anything I can do? He said straight away. He said, you know what? We have a church in Morocco, and none of our members want to go there. Would you volunteer? And straight away, he said, yes, I'll volunteer. I'm just looking for a place to be used by God. So he went to Morocco and he planted a church from zero, and now that church is 140 people. 140 people. We give Jesus praise for that today. Hallelujah. 140 people. Why? Because God birthed a passion in him to pray for Spain. God gave him a, an urgency to pray for Spain, and God was birthing a vision inside of him. And because God had given that burden, he went over there to Morocco eventually and planted that church. Now, who knows what you're going to do for God in the future. But I tell you, while you're here in Kensington Temple, God wants to use you in an incredible way. God wants to use you. At the beginning of this year, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 says, God uses the weak things of this world to shame the wise. And I was asking God for a word just before Judah was born. And uh, after he was born, I received this word in prayer. And I went up to the spare bedroom, I started to pray. And someone had just emailed me or Facebooked me and said, you know, Christian, you are in the Spennymoor newspaper. Now, if you don't know where Spennymoor is, somewhere in the northeast and uh, near Durham. That's where I'm from. And uh, I thought, what, really? I'm in the newspaper. Yeah, you and your wife, you're in the newspaper. I said, why? Oh, because they put in there that Christian lie that used to go to Spennymoor school is now a reverend and he got ordained this year. And there his wife is a doctor, blah, blah, blah. And look how great they are. They're ministering Kensington Temple. Now, I didn't ask them to write the article. I didn't tell them to write the article. I didn't even know who wrote the article. But I was there in, the, in this newspaper. And my friend put it on Facebook. And he's a friend of mine. I've known him uh, since he was age three. We were both Robin Hood together at nursery. That's how I remember it. And uh, in fancy dress outfit. And uh, he faced me and said, oh, my nana has put this on Facebook. I said, wow, really? And so... I read that and I kind of got stirred because you know when someone presents you something from when you, where you came from, suddenly you're reminded about all the great things God has done in your life. And you're incredibly humbled by the fact that you can think, wow, look where I was then and look where I am today. Look how weak I was then. I was a nobody. I'm still a nobody. Hallelujah. I think halfway through a couple of years, I thought I was a somebody, but now I know I'm a nobody because I, I've realized that God only uses nobodies. Hallelujah. So I'm a nobody. And uh, I was just incredibly humble. I got up to my prayer in the second bedroom, and straight away as I began to seek God for a word for this year, that scripture came to me, how God uses the weak things of the world to shame the wise. And you can be incredibly, what's the word, in fear. You can think, oh, it's impossible that we can impact society. 
and make a difference to God. But when you look at Evan Roberts, who is weak as well, and 100,000 people came to God, all it takes is for God to move in your life. And you just say, God, here I am, I'm weak, I'm nothing, I'm a nobody, and offer your life to God. And I tell you, if it starts there, God is going to use you in a powerful way. And as I begin to bow my head in prayer, I heard this scripture, God uses the weak things of the world. All I did, I just sobbed for about, about an hour. I sobbed like a baby, hallelujah. Just sobbing to God, God, I'm weak, I'm nothing without you. And suddenly started to hit my heart, started to hit my heart. And it started to minister to me, God uses the weak people. God uses the weak people to make an impact in society. And that's how it starts. God needs to give you a burden. Nehemiah, chapter 1. Nehemiah hears that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down, and what does he do? What does he do? I mean, Nehemiah had a cushy job. Anybody got a cushy job out there? Job in Canary Wharf, drive a flash car, got a nice office with ensuite bathroom. You got it all. Nehemiah had a job. All he was doing was offering a cup to the king, the most important king of the area. What a job. He would have had his own accommodation. I heard of a man the other day, great job. He's a caretaker of an estate. You might not think that's a great job. But in this caretaker of an estate, he gets free accommodation. He gets paid a salary. I mean, what a job. You get free accommodation and you get paid a salary. That's just a dream. And guess what he's doing? He's studying to be an x-ray, one of those x-ray guys. So he's getting a salary for that as well. I thought, my God, I'm living in the wrong job. Free accommodation. God can give you, someone might be looking for a job here. God can give you the right job. Nehemiah, he's in this custody job, and he hears that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. He hears the walls are broken down, and its gates are burned with fire, and guess what he does? He gets before God, and he starts to weep, and he begins to mourn, and he begins to fast for many days. Because suddenly, he hears the news. Many people would have heard that news. They would have heard that news in that time. And only one man responded in the right way, to intercede. He said, what am I, I'm not going to live anymore. I've, I've, I've lost the point of living. Because the wall is broken down. Now I'll tell you something, that when you receive the call of God, the things you're doing today mean absolutely nothing. You can't sleep, you can't eat, you don't live anymore until you fulfill exactly what God has birthed in your spirit. So he goes to work again, and he's carrying the cup, and he's never been sad before. He's never been sad. And the king comments and says, hey, you've never been sad in my presence. What's up? And he, at that point, could have held it in, like many of us, when we're in evangelism. We could have held it in because of fear. He goes, oh, it's not that bad. I did fast and pray in my church, and and, and I did receive this burden. And you've asked me at work about this situation that I'm going through. And he goes, well, it's not that bad. I don't need to answer the king. And many of us here today would have said, hey, no, it's all right. I'm all right, actually. No, you look sad. No, I'm all right. I'm all right. Don't we do that? We do that in our lives. I'm all right. When we're sad, particularly sad, we just say, hey, everything's all right, and we just cover it over. But not Nehemiah. He received such a burden from God that he just had to let it out. He said, you know what? Why am I even doing this job? What am I even here for? The gates of Jerusalem are burned with fire. The walls are broken down. That, that's why I'm sad. Because he'd received this burden from God. And the king humbly said to him, you know what do you want to do? He says, you know what? I need some time off. I need about an eight week, 10 week, maybe actually I need about a year off because I need to go down there and fix this wall. Why? Because he's received this burden from God. 
And I wonder today, if you've got a burden, a burden from God, a burden for the lost, that's what happens. When we pray for the lost, there needs to be a desperation. When we pray for London, there needs to be a desperation. That's how people are going to find out about God when you're desperate. Hallelujah. And God's begin to birth something de- deep down in your spirit. I want you to bow your head in prayer right now. I'm going to play a DVD of the gospel in a few moments. But right now, as a believer, I want you just to ask God for a burden. A burden for the lost. A heart for God. When Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God for salvation, that's what he meant. He meant, I've got a burden. I've got something birthed of the Holy Spirit. Those cell groups that we're going to plant this year, those disciples that we're going to make, those people that are going to come into KT, they need to meet people who have a heart and a passion for him. Just begin to pray right now in the name of Jesus. You begin to cry out to God in this place right now and say, God, give me your heart. Give me your burden. And as you begin to pray, maybe God has given you a vision for another nation, another people group. During this time of prayer, you begin to pray for them right now in Jesus' name. Father God, we cry out to you today, right now, in the name of Jesus, that you would give us a burden for the lost. Give us a hunger for people, because when people see that burden that we have, when they see that love that we have, when they see that we're not ashamed because we love them and we're praying for them, then they're going to turn. When something that comes from our spirit directly from you, it's going to convict them of sin. Father, we ask you for something genuine, something real. Father God, break down the walls of religion. Break down the fears. Break down the things, the hindrances. Break down prayerlessness, Father, in the name of Jesus. And God, give us a passion for the gospel that only comes from heaven in the name of Jesus. Father, not just for the people here today, but Father, every single person in KT, in the cell groups, give them a burden for the lost. Let us hear the weepings, the groanings for the lost. Let us hear that th- those little purrings of revival, Father, as people start to meet with you, Father God. Lord God, we ask you, Lord, revive your church, revive your people. Give them a burden. Give them a vision, Father. Awaken them, Father God, in the name of Jesus. We want to see these altars filled again with lost souls, Father. In the name of Jesus, souls that people have led to Christ. Lord, we cry out to you today, Lord. Do it again. Do it again, we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, I'd like the technical gallery upstairs to play this uh, gospel clip. It's a rapper. You might have seen it before on YouTube. Um, But it's a gospel clip all explaining the gospel. Now, after this clip, if there's anybody here today who doesn't know Christ, you don't have forgiveness of sins, after that clip, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to God here today as we're talking about the gospel. So if the guy's upstairs in the gallery, you can press play on the DVD. Could turn the lights down. It's the full story of life crushed into four minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. Listen, it's intense, right? God, our sins, paying everyone life. The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told, God. Yes, God, the maker and giver of life. And by life, I mean any and all manner and substance, seen and unseen, what can and can be touched, thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms, and oceans, God. 
All of it is handiwork, one of which is masterpiece, made so uniquely that angels look curiously. The one thing in creation that was made with his imagery, the concept, so cold. It's the reason I stay bold, how God breathed in a man and he became a living soul. Formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fond, creator and creation held an eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. A species got deceived and started lusting for his job and odd list of complaints. As if the system ain't working and used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him. And that sin seed spread through our soul's genome. And by nature of your nature, your species, you participated in the mutiny. Our, yes, our sins. It's nature inherited, black in the human heart. It was over before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by our own lust. There's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that something's wrong with us. The question is, what is it? And how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may not have existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding. Besides trying to prove God is like defending a lion, homie. It'll need your help. Just unlock the cage. Let's move on on how our debt can be paid. Short and sweet. The problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer. An asthma, choking out our life force, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back is to get back to perfection, but silly us. Trying to pass the course of life without referring to a syllabus. This is us. Keep up your good deeds. Chant, pray, meditate. But all of that, of course, is spraying cologne on a corpse. Or you could choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe, but all of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against perfection, good luck. That's life past your pay grade. The cost of your soul, you ain't got a big enough piggy bank, but you could give it a shot. But I suggest you throw away the list, because even your good acts are an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you're closely listening. Please don't get it twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. Here's what God says as part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Quit trying. It's impossible. Sin brings death. Give God his breath back. You owe him. Eternally separated, and the only way to fix it is someone die in your place, and that someone gotta be perfect, or the payment ain't permanent. So if and when you find a perfect person, get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin and death in. Clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness. His death functions as payment. Yes, payment. Wrote a check with his life, but at the resurrection, we all cheered because that means the check cleared. Pierced feet, pierced hands, blood-stained son of man, fullness, forgiveness, free passage into the promised land. That same breath that God breathed into us, God gave up to redeem us. And anyone and everyone, and by everyone, I mean everyone, who puts their faith and trust in him and him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is, that you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone. You are receiving life.
Yes. Life. This is the gospel. God, our sins, paying everyone life. gospeljourney.com you can get it later if you want to send it to your friends but let's bow our heads in prayer right now in Jesus name and I want to give an opportunity for people today you've not received Christ as your Lord and Savior you've not even received the gospel and today you're here today and you're saying you're Christian you've been talking about having this passion for God this burden for people in our world I don't have this heart for God I've never received forgiveness I want to pray this prayer right now and in this place today if you don't know God if you don't know Christ if you to die right now, that you would not make it into heaven because you don't have peace with God. I'm going to pray this prayer, and you can pray this prayer in your own heart, and then I'm going to ask you to respond to God. Just pray a prayer like this. Say, Father God, I cry out to you today, and I admit that I'm a sinner, that I'm not following your ways, but today I choose to turn to you. I need your heart. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, and he rose again on the third day, and today I believe in you. And I want to follow you from this day forward. I put a line in the sand and I'm crossing over it today. And I say, Lord, I believe in you. I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for accepting me in Jesus' name. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer and you need his forgiveness, you need his grace, I want you just to respond to God today and just lift your hand and I'm going to pray for you right across this place today. You need him in your life today. You need forgiveness. Just lift your hand high. Thank you, madam. Lift it high today. You need his forgiveness today. You want me to pray with you right now. Just lift it high in this place today. You know, when you lift your hand to God, thank you, madam. When you lift your hand to God, you're not lifting it to me. You're lifting it to heaven. You're becoming real with God. And the Bible says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. So lift it high. If you're in this place today and you need to recommit your life to God, you've, not, you've lost your passion. You've lost your commitment to God. Just lift your hand high and I'm going to pray with you today. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you down here. Thank you, Jesus. I want you just to stand up. If you lifted your hand, just stand on your feet right now, and I'm going to pray with you. I said, just stand. Thank you. Just stand. Stand at the back. Thank you. Let's just pray together. Father, it's a bold step for people here today to stand and say, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you'd seal their commitment today in the power of your Holy Spirit. And as they speak to somebody right now, Father God, from the 2.30 service, God, I pray that the decision that they've made will be consolidated and strengthened. In Jesus' name, I pray for every single one of them to join a cell group and be discipled in Jesus' name. Anybody said? Amen. Now, before we finish today, I know I went three minutes over. Usually I like to finish early. But if you have this passion for evangelism, there's going to be a course on Saturday, as Gable announced earlier, 9.30, right throughout the 4 p.m., where you're going to be catching this passion. We're going to show you ways to be effective in your evangelism, have various workshops. But if you feel today you're called to be an evangelist, or you just have this burden for evangelism, and it's yet to be developed, I'd like to, to meet with you in KT. We do have a team of evangelists that we're meeting on a regular basis, working through the cell groups, seeking how it can be effective for God. If that's you, come and speak to me at the end of the service today. Thank you, Gabriel.